0: Most trusted voice in professional wrestling. Look at this. More than four decades behind the mic. Plain and simple. With unrivaled success in broadcasting. From ringside to the boardroom to the New York Times bestsellers list. What an impact. Keen insight with a sharp tongue. And if they're smart, they'll listen. Westwood One Podcast Network presents The Jim Ross Report.
1: With WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross. And now, the man himself. Good old Jr.
0: Hello again, everybody, and Merry Christmas to all. Hope you had a great Christmas. I sure did, and it's not over. I'm not going to quit celebrating uh, Christmas and what it means to me and my family. Hope you feel the same way about uh, the holidays, wherever you are and however you may, and however you may celebrate them. Uh, we're very excited about today's show, kids, because we're going to take you back to Cleveland. The King and I were there a couple of weeks ago at Hilarity's Comedy Club. On a Saturday afternoon and uh, we had so much fun during our two-man show the Q A's the stories uh, just a lot of fun to say the very least and I want to first of all thank uh, hilarities for their wonderful hospitality uh, I'd forgotten we we're going to take the damn show so I, mean, I did until it was almost over then I was wondering so what do we I wonder if we did a good job I wonder if we got enough material to make this an entertaining program because we are taping it and so uh, I hope that we, uh, we did well for you. I think you're going to love this show. Uh, it was one of our best shows, quite frankly. The King was on fire. Uh, we had some great stories. Uh, we told a lot of things. We, you know, working with Vince. Uh, he and I call him the uh, Foley Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. Uh, little, little nuances about that. Uh, you know, uh, just uh, so many things that we had experienced in our career. Uh, it's too bad that we don't get the chance to do more of these things together. It's even worse that we don't get a chance to do some broadcasts together. But that's my story and a story for another time. But uh, this is a great trip to Cleveland. I don't think I, I left Cleveland so invigorated because of the hospitality of the Browns. Uh, they loaned us our MC for the evening, Nathan Zagura, who's a, the host of Browns Daily. Uh, great young man, hell of a broadcaster and he, he really uh, did a swell job for us him seeing our show and keeping the herding the chickens so to speak and keeping the, keeping the rudder in the water so uh, it's really fun uh, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as the King and I did presenting it to that audience originally so right now without any further ado I'd like to take you back to Cleveland, Ohio Hilarity's Comedy Club J.R. and the King take it away
1: Ladies and gentlemen, business is about to pick up because I want to introduce to you WWE Hall of Famer, the voice of Monday Night Raw, frankly the voice of professional wrestling and I believe the greatest announcer in the history of this business, the one and only good old JR Jim Ross. (laughs)
0: I'd love to introduce you. I've done it about Absolutely. I remember his name and everything. <laughs> Here's uh, the guy that was the best color partner I ever had. He may be again someday. That'll, get, that'll do us a good dirt for you Twitter freaks out there in Twitter land. Tell the dirt sheets. Jr. inferred that he and Jerry may work again together. I wonder what that means. The new company? Oh yeah, it doesn't have a TV contract or signed anybody yet, but we all still think they're a new company. They don't even have stationery for God's sakes. <laughs> anyway, he's the best partner I ever had. Uh, I would not have had my success if it weren't for him. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, and, and I love him and he's like a brother to me. Uh, older brother, but nonetheless. <laughs> Please welcome, he's a hall of famer, anywhere you want to look, Jerry the King Lawler. Hi, Jerry. Hi, JR. How you doing?
2: I'm doing good. You uh, see what what JR and I are wearing? This this is known, by, became known from Mick Foley as a cheap pop getter, right uh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever you're in a Cleveland Brown is, swag. We're, yeah. we're getting all the cheap pops we can muster. Exactly. But in reality, I have a ton of Cleveland Browns swag or outfits or jerseys or hats or everything because... I'm a real Cleveland Browns fan, right? Huh? <laughs> Go Browns. So
0: uh, we were asked today in our in our meet and greet, which we appreciate you guys paying all that ridiculous money to see us. Uh, and we're glad you came through the line. As you notice, we were having we were kind of hustling at the end because we are not of the millennial generation of pro wrestler people. In other words, <clears throat> Uh, some of our peers could have done that line in about 30 minutes and may have never looked up at your ass. <laughs> We'd like to have conversation. We'd like to have interaction cause we respect what you are and who you are. And the fact you came to see us. So that's how we look at it. Real simple, cut and dried, no, no crazy stuff. But <clears throat> a lot of people ask if we're going to the game tomorrow. And of course we are. And uh, we both are welcomed at the uh, Browns camp, the facility yesterday. And I, had, I tweeted out that I'd never been treated any better by any NFL team for sure. And I did NFL football for a season that I was at the Browns camp yesterday. So it was their class organization. You can feel positivity in that, in that building. And so some of you won't get that, never, probably never get that opportunity to go through that facility in, this, in that regard as we had the access yesterday. And, and that's unfortunate, but the way it is, but let me share with you the fact that if you're a real Cleveland Browns fan, you should feel good about the, the climate in the room. You really should. They're, they're optimistic. They don't have anything about uh, let's, let's win tomorrow. Tomorrow's our day. It all says let's win now. So that's where they're on. They're on that pace. So you're in good shape, and um, I'm a Browns fan. Of course, there's a little quarterback there, number six. Smart boy. <clears throat> so we had a we had a good uh, homecoming yesterday, but it's going to be fun here today. And and I'm a, I'm Jerry's the biggest Cleveland fan I know. You know I knew that when we started we were riding together. Indians, the Browns, the, the LeBron James Cavs.
2: <laughs> That's the only one anybody cares about. It seems like. And let me let me explain uh, to some of the people that may not know why that is. Uh, But you got to go way back We'll get in the way back machine here for a second Uh, when I was a kid growing up born in Memphis, of course, and uh, Memphis, Tennessee But when I was like seven years old um, My dad got transferred with a job he worked at we worked at the Ford Motor Company and they used to have a big assembly plant in Memphis and Something happened. I don't know dispute over the land or whatever, but anyway when I was seven years old they transferred or, or they moved and built a big assembly plant out between uh, Vermilion and Lorraine, if you're familiar with that. It's, and now it's been closed down. But anyway, back in the day, they gave anybody down in Memphis the opportunity, if they wanted to keep your job, you could transfer, pick up your family, and move up to Ohio. So that's what we wound up doing in like 1957 long time ago. 1957, something like that. So anyway, we uh, moved here, and we first settled in a little... Uh, there was a big influx of people coming from uh, Memphis to keep their jobs, and there was a housing shortage, so the only place that we could find to move into at the time was in a little town called Vermilion. How many people know Vermillion? And we, it was in the dead of winter, and the only place we could find to live was a little, little beachfront cottage that was ordinarily... Rented out just beachfront. in the, in the summer. Yeah, when I say, be- when, I say when I say when I say beachfront, our little cottage was right here, and about where the back of the room is was Lake Erie, and it was frozen over uh, when we moved here. And my parents thought maybe, you know, we'd moved to Mars or something coming from Tennessee. You know where we very seldom ever even saw snow, uh, but as kids, my, my brother and I, we loved it, and, and we went from vermilion uh, first, actually, my dad w- lived in uh, Lorraine for a little while. Then we moved to Vermilion, and then from Vermilion, we moved to Amherst. Anybody ever ever been to Amherst? Yes, the Comets, go Comets, right? So we lived in Amherst for about eight years, and, um, and so I became at that time... Uh, we we were up here during in 1964. We lived here when the Browns won the NFL championship. And it's so difficult. Jim you Brown. you yeah, Jim Brown and all of those great years. And it's so difficult to try to explain to people anywhere else that the Browns have won a lot of NFL championships. And just you know, we won the last time we won was the year after when they started calling it the Super Bowl, right? But anyway, uh, yeah, I've been a Browns and Indians fan uh, my whole uh, life and. Uh, Had moved back to, was living in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and remember crying, literally crying when uh, Brian Sipe threw that interception in the game, you know. uh, Yeah, so it read right 88, yeah, throw it into Lake Erie, which he should have done, and our our stepson Peyton is over here, and I had to tell him that story just uh, yesterday. But anyway, yeah, I've been a Browns fan my whole life, been a Cleveland fan my whole life, and it's always a great opportunity and a lot of fun to come back to Cleveland. Love you guys. So uh, a big part of these shows
0: that we do are uh, the Q&A, the Q&A business. <laughs> because, uh, number one, we get to know you even a little bit better. Uh, we don't, You haven't seen us, anybody pass out a card for you to fill out about your question. We don't want to know what you're going to ask us, and we don't care because you should be able to do. ask us any question you want in the Q&A. You bought your ticket, so you can boo or cheer, whatever you want to do. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but uh, we're going to start the Q&A real quick because I've always believed and Jerry agrees that this is probably the strongest part of our show. You notice that we we were... Laughing. I was laughing. I laugh at my own stuff a lot. I'm I'm a widower. I'm by myself a lot. So I'm I'm everything to me. I'm very comical. And I said, well, we have exactly as much preparation for this show as all of our other shows. I feel good about that. (laughs) Which which is nothing. Zero. (laughs) I said, the only, I told uh, some guys here, and by the way, what great media in in, uh, Cleveland. There's So many people are nice to us. Uh, everybody, uh, ESPN, radio here, uh, 92.3, you know, I was on the uh, the Rover show early on Friday morning. Everybody was so nice, but be that as it may, the, the Q&A is the money. So you guys ask whatever you want, and we will try to do our best to answer it as honestly as we know, and let's have some fun with it, and let's don't ask these questions, okay? I'll give you some. You can if you want, and defy me, you defiant bastards. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to address. Should Chris Benoit be in the Hall of Fame? No, no, I don't care. Are there more morbid subjects we can address? Uh, so, or uh, the other thing that we can answer, we kind of got a half-ass answer. What's your favorite match? Ooh, don't ask that one either. <laughs> because there's no definitive answer. Jerry will say sometimes uh, Rock and and Hogan at at 18. I will say the most memorable match because I get asked about it seemingly endlessly is Foley and the Hell in a Cell (laughs) The Undertaker, (laughs) 1998. And it kind of speaks to what's kind of sad about today's business in, in a way that most of our memories and the things that really stick out to us happened Twenty years ago,
2: yeah. Most of our memories are in black and white.
0: That's not. That's not a good thing. <laughs> so let's get rolling with it. Let's have some fun. And uh...
2: let me let me mention. I, I think I I don't even know if I told you this, but it was weird when Lauren and uh, I have my son uh, Kevin is here and uh, he said and, to put him Payton, over. Yeah. Do what? He said to put him. Yeah, over. Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> anyway, but when we got off the plane Thursday, we came in early. Came in Thursday. We, uh, was greeted with all the snow, loved it um, but anyway, we came in Thursday and there was a guy, and it, hopefully he's here, maybe there was a guy waiting at the airport when we got off the plane i you know I didn't even know how anybody knew when we were coming in or whatever, and he had some pictures to sign and and uh he are, are you here is it Brent Brent are you here Brent huh the he and the, pictures, and the <laughs> pictures are on eBay by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. But anyway, he, he said, uh, he said, I called Hilarities and asked him what your guy's show was going to be about. And he said, the people at Hilarities said, we have no idea. And I said, well, the reason they said that is because J.R. and I have no idea no when the show starts. We have no idea what's going to happen or what we're going to say or anything. And the guy said, he said, well, I just he said, I just didn't want it to be like uh, Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts. I guess he went to a Jake the Snake Roberts show and it didn't have a good experience. And I said, I promise you it won't be like Jake's, like Jake's show, uh, whatever that was, I, I can bet you uh, you'll have a good time. So hopefully we'll all have a good time. And, and if you meet us or meet somebody else in an airport's coming in in the future, you can say, Jr. and the
1: King's show was good.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. All right. There you go, big boy. All Come right, on. let's
1: get this going. So I'm going to kind of try to work my way around the room. We'll get as many of these as, in as we can, and uh, let's have a lot of fun with you. You heard them; They said no holds barred, nope. so let's go. Uh-oh. We ain't, we ain't scared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll start right here with the slobber knocker.
3: Going back to the WCW Halloween Havoc days, uh, back to Sting and Jake, what was your idea? What did you think about the whole Cobra and that whole aspect being brought into it
0: there. If I was a booker type person, I would shy away from working with animals, uh, incorporating religion, politics, and any sort of uh, intergender like competition. I ain't into that. I'm not going there. So when the, the snake thing always fit him because he was, a villainous, mysterious, you know, unpredictable guy. And he had a very unique gimmick. So uh, I, But I'm not a big... He was such a good worker anyway. Psychology is about as good as anybody's. Uh, he didn't need the gimmick, in my opinion. You could wear snake skin boots call it a day.
1: <laughs> so I wasn't a big
0: fan though, to be honest with you. But I like that pay-per-view, though. I like the spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal component because I helped create it. So we're all egocentric maniacs, so I like my idea. Nice shirt, by the way.
1: ProWrestlingTees.com, kids.
0: It's not too late for Christmas. There's some more right there.
2: All right. There
1: he's, got, go. he's got one as well. And by the way, speaking of merchandise, I know the holidays are coming up. They've got a ton of stuff up there. T-shirts, books, sauces, jerky, which is tremendous <laughs> if you like beef jerky. And anything you buy today... From the merch stand, they will sign for you after the show. So something to Even keep in the jerky? mind. There. Something to keep in mind. Every, <laughs> Every bite. Every bite. Every That's bite. Every right. That's why
0: it's dried out, so There's you can get like bite, of, right, s- right on it. It's not right. that jerky with a little bit of uh, a marker taste. <laughs> <laughs> Sharpie. Sharpie-flavored jerky.
3: It's really, really tasty. So uh, this is probably a little unoriginal because you, you're going to get asked it a hundred times. But I was in Pittsburgh in 98 at the King of the Ring. Um, when Mick Foley was getting thrown off the cage, I know I, I was thinking that there's no way that's supposed to happen. Uh, obviously, I, I know the commentary, but what, what were you guys actually thinking as he's flying off the cage?
2: <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I think J.R. and I both thought when Mick Foley went to the top of the cage, it was pretty good you know you assumed that he was going to come flying off I mean that was just Mick Foley I mean he did the most you know some of the craziest most dangerous things that uh, uh, you've ever seen in a wrestling ring or above a wrestling ring or whatever uh, I don't know the, the cool thing about JR and I we you know we never knew what was going to happen we didn't want to know what was going to happen our reactions and our commentary could be more honest that way and um, more real Yeah, more More real. Exactly. We 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 said uh, exactly what came to mind as we were seeing something for the first time, and so uh, I don't even I can't even remember what I thought. Uh, I thought when they were up there that he was going to come down, but (laughs) actually seeing it and being that close to it, um, it it was amazing. You know, my thought.
0: If you could see my thought bubble right then, it would say. You've got to be shitting me!
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: right. And so uh, I'm, in a, I'm in the I'm in the Dallas Airport the other day in the in the uh, priority line because I got like a zillion miles. And this guy sat behind me, standing behind me, and he says to me, uh, "In my he's in my space." <laughs> I felt like we were shooting a scene in a prison movie. Uh-oh. Got a little dicey there, kids. <clears throat> was, he, was he a close talker as well? Did yeah, and he, he got right on right your I face. feel the hair on my neck moving. Yeah. <laughs> so he says to me, he says to movers listening, well, what do you say? What, what, did even, what, did even, what did I even say that year? 220? Oh, with God as my witness. Yeah, for the love of God, <laughs> he's broken in half. <laughs> So I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> let her go, J artist. let her go. So the next thing he's even closer. I, I hope that was his briefcase that was hitting me in the ass. <laughs> and he says, for the love of God, someone stop the damn match. I said, okay. Briefcase or no briefcase, I'm done. <laughs> so I wheel around as, as much as an old fat old guy can wheel. <laughs> and I turn around and I, before I could say anything, his little boy, who's like 12, not little, that little, 12, 13, he says to me, "JR, apologize for my dad. <laughs> he does this at home all the time. <laughs> and my mom just hates it. <laughs> so that match just doesn't go away. No. Foley just did a whole year of shows uh, on the road with the 20 years of hell or where, where it
2: was, it did great. So good for him. The, the, the one thing I, that sticks in my mind when he, you know, when he went through the table uh, and I, I don't know if it was you or me said something about, you know, he's dead. I mean, that's, I that was that. what I thought. I thought he was dead. And, and I was just staring down right there, and all of a sudden, I see him turn over, and he's got this smile on his face, and his tooth was gone, but it was coming out his nose, and he was smiling, and I just, that's the... It was just burned in my brain forever. I mean, there's Mick Foley just had come off the top of this cage, should be dead. And instead he's smiling, but his tooth was sticking out of his, through his nostril there. It was crazy. Yeah,
0: he, he, he asked me, he said, I listened to that back. And you said that, look, he, he likes the pain. I was trying to put him over. <laughs> he was smiling, this deranged look. You know, he's, he's wild hair and blood and teeth in his nose and all that stuff. And I'm trying to make him a folk hero here. He said, I, I didn't really love it. I said well uh, Your name really wasn't Mankind
2: either was it (laughs) You know know, what was Crazy about that as well was If you remember I mean he Was thrown off the top of the cage And went through the table And then after that They went back up on the top of the cage And this is when I really thought he was dead For real uh, When the cage broke and he falls through, and it, to me, looking at it right there, it looked like he landed right on the back of his neck. I mean, just—it was the, that was the scariest, craziest-looking, scariest-looking bump that I've ever seen. He, didn't, he, didn't,
0: he wasn't able to take a wrestling bump. He never got turned where he landed flat back. Yeah, and that's what got him. Yeah. So, uh, you guys having a little party over there, or what? <laughs> no. You know what the hell you want? Or order a cheeseburger. He's order goddamn day. <laughs> I'll take another cocktail if you guys are shooting
2: the breeze about it. You through with that one already?
0: Oh, yeah. they're just fright.
3: Oh, it's just... What's it like to work for and work with Vince McMahon? Do you have any good Vince stories? Uh-oh.
0: <laughs> he never got on Jerry's ass one time in 118 years they worked together. <laughs> Me, however, I was a scapegoat because he, I asked him, I said... You chew my ass out till, to say something along the lines of, uh, I don't think King's got it tonight. You've got to pick up the face after Jr. God damn it. So I'm thinking, well, why don't you tell Jerry that? <laughs> he can't take it. <laughs> I said, like, well, good. So I didn't ever say, oh, yeah, he can't take it. Try it. <laughs> Try it. Get on his ass like mine. Say it, you bastard. Say it.
2: God damn it. I can honestly say that's, the, that's honest to goodness truth. All the years, 20-plus years, working with Jr., working with Michael Cole, working with never, never once did Vince ever come in my ear and basically yell at me at all. But he definitely yelled at some people. You know, I talking about Mick Foley. Uh, Mick Foley came in and, and tried to do... Uh, commentary for a while and lasted just a matter of a few weeks yeah yeah and uh, mick foley said man I, my dad my own dad never never talked to me that way <laughs> and uh and and i you know well you can you could tell a couple stories about but, but one of my favorites is um when michael cole first they kind of put me and michael cole together early on i was sick yeah
0: they, well, didn't him, they didn't put it together with you because they thought it was the right thing to do. Right. <laughs> That's what they had to do at that point in time. Now they think it's the right thing to do. Yeah.
2: Well, they... they uh, <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> this is a touchy story. Did you see that? <laughs> well, TV, I got it. Did you hear that?
0: Yeah, my TV's got audio. I heard it too.
2: <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> one one night, Michael uh, was just getting started, kind of there, and of course Vince sits back at the gorilla position, is what we call it, where you know where Gorilla Monsoon used to sit and be, time the matches, yep. Uh, and Vince has this monitor of, uh, or this board of monitors there in front of him, and he can see everything that the director in the truck is seeing, and sometimes Vince. Directs the show by telling the cameraman what, or the director what shot to take, what camera to look at, and that sort of thing. Then he also has a monitor with all the announcers on it. That's We had a, a little camera. Let's right cameras. It. Yeah, we had a little camera. Sure he has got his hotel room right now. Always. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't wait. laughs> Easy. <laughs> so, anyway, um, and then he, he had these three buttons. If there were two, he had two buttons or three. And he could speak to the announcers by pressing their button, or he could speak to every all the announcers by pressing an all-button all, all button where he could speak to everybody. All-call. All-call, yeah. So anyway, one, one night, I don't remember something Michael... Well, I do sort of remember. Michael Cole said something about the two wrestlers in the ring that were getting ready to have this big feud and this big rivalry. And... In reality, they had already worked together a couple of years before that, and um, but you know, it's like in the if the WWE, if it didn't happen in the WWE, it didn't happen, and so a lot of times Vince would not want you to bring up anything from the past, and so we're on live TV, and we're doing about halfway through the broadcast, and all of a sudden Michael Cole says, uh, "Oh, these two guys, man, they have quite the history. They've they've wrestled, you know, they've wrestled each other." A, a bunch of times in the past, Mm-mm-mm-mm. and Uh-oh. all of a sudden, <laughs> Vince—he didn't bother to—he hit uh, the all-call button right where I could hear And now we're doing live TV. Michael Cole has just been s- just kind of starting out on on Monday Night Raw, and and Vince goes, "You stupid son of a bitch! What in the hell would you say something like that for, you fucking idiot?" Now, poor Michael Cole is live on the air, and he hears this in his ears. And, I, and, of course, I heard it, too. And I just looked over at him like this, and he just... <laughs> but he had to continue. He had to continue on to the show. And that's that's just the way that sometimes Vince would, would do. And you you had that a few times, right? Oh, yeah. Fortunately, I never, never happened to A few thousand times I had A it. thousand times. <laughs> I've had... Uh one
0: that's funny that stands out to me we they were making changes they mean the creative people made changes right up until we went on the air and sometimes after we've gotten sheets a sheet a page take take uh, give us page 10 11 of your format we're going new pages didn't know what they were but they had new pages they're making changes essentially and right through the live show and that's People don't understand that, but we did some pretty good results in the standpoint that
2: we were getting changes as we went. We've started some shows with nothing, with nothing. not even a format in front of us. The and they pyro. the show starting. They said, "Are we, we going to get a format?" And they said, "They're still writing the show." So
0: so I'm sitting there. We ch- we changed something <clears throat> before we went out. He called me over. Now remember, you had that production man. We had this about this guy. Don't go there. We're not going to go there. <laughs> okay problem. So we go out and I'm this person, whoever it was, is in the match and I'm not going there. But he forgot that he told me not to go there and he forgot that we changed the not to go there in the production meeting. Meaning he's on the line on the, my headset saying, say it, God damn it, JR, say it. <laughs> Didn't say nothing. God damn it, Jr. say it! Say it, God damn it! And we finish the segment. <laughs> we finish the segment. It is honey. And we go to break. And he says, he comes back on, he says, Jr. yes, God. Did you hear me tell you to say it? Yes, sir, I did. Well, oh, God damn it. It's a good thing he didn't say it because it would have been wrong. <laughs> no apology. I'm sorry I got on your ass. I'm sorry I drove a stake right up your heart. Took all the love of the game out of you for about three seconds. But, the, hey, look. It's like you guys got bosses. Some of them are decent people and some aren't worth a shit. <laughs> he was great to Jerry and I on uh, we wanted to bring wise or to, to events, or uh, we paid, were paid great. We had, you know, all a, all good first-class airfare. It's great, but he was tough. But I tell people, I said, you know, he's not as tough as my dad was on me. If you guys have read my book, and now how we had a little problem with some puppies I had to deal with. That was my dad. How could you ever have problems with puppies? Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go puppies they weren't, they weren't they weren't your kind of puppies oh I see they weren't the niffly kind of puppies
2: <laughs> so uh, anyway where are you let's go All right. why do puppies have wet noses because I licked them that's why <laughs> remember that was the great thing about the attitude there. you could actually say that on television and get away with it nowadays you could say, oh my gosh you hear this, put your headsets down and get
0: the hell out of here. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. NHTSA is working hard to change habits and save lives during the holiday season. Everyone knows the risk of driving drunk. You could get into a crash, people could get hurt or killed, but let's take a moment to look at some surprising stats. Almost 29 people in the United States die every single day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over.
1: Um, to kind of piggyback off the last question, um, do you guys have any good stories riding with Vince, especially if he's late to a destination?
0: Jared never rode with him.
2: I wrote with him one time. It was okay, Vince. I it once. Yeah, Vince and um, Bruce Pritchard and me. And for some reason, all he did the entire time was make fun of Jerry Jarrett, and his and his accent. And and, and there was a story told about uh, Jerry coming up to work when he, Jerry came up to work in the WWE and um, from from Nashville, and uh, apparently they got on Vince's plane. And we're flying somewhere, and Jerry uses the phone to call his wife, Deborah. On the phone, said, "Guess where I'm calling from." And They did the whole Southern accent. I'm calling from Vince's airplane. So, anyway, that was uh, that was the only that was the only thing that uh, I mean. You know, I guess they were just in a mood to make fun of Jerry Jarrett at the time. That happened. Yeah,
0: You're, you can be the butt of a joke there real easy. Uh, I travel with him uh, a lot. Because I was an odd man out, I was, I was in the talent relations side, and I replaced J.J. Bruce and I both replaced J.J. And then Bruce didn't like it that much. He wanted to go back to creative, so I got promoted again to senior VP of talent relations before I got my last promotion as the EVP of talent relations. So, but he was fun to travel with because he always wanted to drive, just like when I rode with Jerry. Yeah, I didn't drive with, these. I had drivers, man. <laughs> I, was, I had a cool drivers. The most powerful man in wrestling was my driver, Vince McMahon, and the King. What the hell, What do I want? How, how good is my life? <laughs> so, uh, but he was driving, and we're in Ohio. 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 Oh, wait. <laughs> Ohio. Easy, 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 easy. <laughs> Cut this guy off. No more looking for him. <laughs> uh See, I've lost my place because of you. <laughs> Bullshit, man. Uh, You're in Ohio. I'm in Ohio. Thank you very much. And we're it's Vince and I, and we're riding on the, on the interstate, I think, somewhere around Dayton. I'm not sure. But they had all these cones out on the road. So he to said, hey, JR, want to run the cones? <laughs> no, not in a rented Cadillac from Hertz. I don't want to run the cones. So we did. We, what do you think we did? We ran the cones, <laughs> going about 80, in and out, in and out, zigzagging. It was all really, good, it was really good until we were stopped by the Ohio State Police. <laughs> so he walks up, little guy, about the size of Barney 5, big old gun on his hip, big old Adam's apple, <laughs> and he says, uh, "Vince has got us. We had these, wore these jackets, these denim jackets. I think mine was." Black with red sleeves or something, and his was red with black sleeves. I don't know. We look like idiots. (laughs) Hello, officer. How are you doing today? Well, I'm Vince McMahon. (laughs) This is JR. And we just did our live action show on Monday nights, Monday Night Raw, in Columbus, where we were. So the cop looks at me, flashlight in my face, looks at Vince. He says, Well, I guess that makes me the big boss man, don't it? <laughs> out came the check, out came the ticket book. He wrote us a ticket slick as hell and told us to slow down and be careful. And and I said, I said, Vince is gonna be pissed off. He just took it. It was nothing. It's like hearing his favorite song on the radio. You Controversy, and he drove just as fast after the ticket as he did before the ticket. And I said, Don't you ever worry about getting multiple tickets? Oh, that happens all the time. I've gotten three or four in one trip. But when you got that kind of money, it don't matter. And somehow I got them fixed. Good stuff.
2: I was bad about tickets early in my career. Well, when we did a lot of driving. And uh, if I was riding with somebody and I'd get a ticket and I'd look and as we drove off, I'd see the tickets like $100 or something and I'd say, to my, whoever's I'm riding with, I said, how much is this fine for littering? Well, and they say, I think $500. <laughs> so I stare my ticket up, throw it out the window and say, hey, I just made 400 bucks. <laughs> 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 Did that all the time. You know, Vince, now, of course, you used to ride with him in a car. Now it's always on a plane. And um, Vince loves, you know this, he loves to rib people that don't fly with him very often. And his main, his main thing is you get on the plane with, with Vince, and, you know, it's beautiful carpet. I mean, really nice plane and everything. And guys like Kevin Dunner, people that have to fly with him all the time, will try to not sit close to Vince. I mean, it's like, because you're going to be, like I said, you, know, you don't want to yeah. be right with Vince for, on a long trip. So like, a guy like me, they said, King, here, sit right here next to Vince, right? <laughs> okay. So everybody else gets in the back, and I'm sitting by Vince, and King, need some of this uh, hand sanitizer? <laughs> he puts a little bit in his hand, and he says, need some hand sanitizer? So naturally, you're not going to say no, right? So I put my hand out, and he immediately begins to, he just immediately squeezes the entire bottle of hand sanitizer <laughs> right in your hand, right? I mean, so you're now, you're, and, and he just does it, and just looks away like nothing happened, right? So now you're standing there with the, both hands full of hand sanitizer on his plane, and you just you, you start, start. start <laughs> So you wind up, yeah, you, you, you give yourself a little a, spo, a sponge bath with hand sanitizer for the next 15 minutes. But that's, that, I mean. He's childlike. He is. That's he's childlike. That and that for a guy in his
0: 70s, that's actually pretty cool. You know, <laughs> everybody doesn't like him, really. I get it. You know, we want the wrestling to be one way, and we don't like it the way it is now. And he's responsible for everything. Here's what he's responsible for. Everybody in the wrestling business is making some money can credit Vince McMahon in a large part of uh, what they're earning because the wrestling business would not be as popular. There would be as many places to work. There wouldn't be any of these little deals (laughs) if the business hadn't got strong thanks to what the WWE has done globally at WrestleMania. Think of how many companies come to New York on WrestleMania week this year in in 2019, they're going to make their biggest paydays of the year because they're in New York City during WrestleMania week. It's just a no brainer, but people don't want to acknowledge it because his style of wrestling for some people isn't kosher and that's cool. That's your right. That's your right. But nobody's got to boycott and go threaten things and go crazy about it. Remember after all guys, it is pro wrestling for God's sakes. <laughs> it's not your religion. It's not your marriage, it's not your relationship. It's not paying your damn taxes. It's pro wrestling. Take it easy. And, and enjoy it. Even the bad shit. Enjoy that. I do. Because really, what is bad what is good? It's all subjective, I
1: think. Much like this drink I'm getting rid to half. <laughs> as you always say, Jared, lighten up, Francis. That's right. All right, sir.
3: Thanks for uh, coming and talking to us, guys. I appreciate it. Um, I know there's a huge emphasis on safety as opposed to what there was 20 years ago. Who were some of the stiffest guys that... Uh, we're in the attitude area. That you know, if you got hit by those guys, you're going to feel it.
2: You know, a lot of people have asked us uh, questions about, you know, what do you guys do during a five-hour pay-per-view if you have to go to the bathroom? Or the <laughs> <laughs> that was Jr. That was Jr.'s always his an answer: wear dark pants. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I can honestly say I, I was really fortunate in the fact that I never had to. Uh, I don't know, I guess when I was out there working, really never had it become an issue like that. I do know that uh, Booker T has uh, would do just like what J.R. Do, uh, did, uh, just get up and have to go out for a while, and you just have to cover for him, you know, that you gotta, sort of thing. Got to do. do what you got to do is exactly right. I often thought, why don't we just get a catheter? and, we're, <laughs> <laughs> and we're, Because the pay-per-views kept getting longer and longer. Now, my gosh, pay-per-views are what five hours long something like that insane and with the pre-shows like seven hours something like that yeah. but anyway what was the, what was the question who was who, who the was stiffest
1: stiff? work i
2: i still say the uh, well I, i'll tell you uh, of course in my case uh dolph, i have to credit dolph ziggler with the yeah. 10 elbows that he gave me in in montreal canada uh they were killers I mean, they, they, uh, I've, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the ring in the match with um, me and, and Bob Orton. Uh, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Randy Orton, of course. Uh, me and Randy Orton were partners against Dolph Ziggler and, I think, CM Punk. And so, anyway, yeah, we're, so we're having this match, and some kind of way, Dolph Ziggler he slams me or whatever, and so he jumps up, and, and I, I think he told me, I'm going to give you ten elbows okay so anyway i mean so he all of a sudden i'm laying there he jumps as high in the air and i'm looking at him come down and oh my gosh it was like the most crushing blow ever right in in my chest you know it's like i mean he's not taking any of the brunt of the of the fall with his back he's just driving his elbow right in my chest and about the fifth one i swear this is the truth on the fifth elbow into my chest i thought to myself Damn, whatever happened to the day we used to do this and not kill each other? <laughs> and sure enough, after the 10th elbow, some kind of way, the match was over. We, we won the match. And I go back down uh, to the announce table. And I'm sitting there watching the next match was, I believe, Kane and, and Daniel Bryan. And sure enough, I died. Uh, and the doctor said later, you know, the, the, the uh, blows from the elbows knocked my heart kind of off rhythm and it took a little 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and then it just seized up and stopped with a cardiac arrest. And fortunately, uh, the doctors were sitting right there, at, um, right there at ringside, you know, watching the matches, make sure nothing happened to anybody. I had, I had no clue. I mean, I had no pain. I had no warning. I had no nothing. I'm just sitting there watching a the match, and I blink my eyes, and when I open them again... Uh, my fiancee Lauren was standing at the side of my bed. I had a ventilator down my throat, and I'm in the hospital for like four days later in, in Montreal, Canada. And I had no clue what it. You what had a catheter. I think I, I think I may have got a catheter oh. <laughs> during during that time. But anyway, so that 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 I can honestly say, you know, those those were stiff. But there were other guys that were kind of known for being stiff back even before, uh, and you you'll know this back before. WWE, Bruiser Brody. Oh my yeah. gosh, Bruiser Brody's stiff. Yeah, um, Stan Hansen. Man, the worst match I was ever in in my life. Me and Austin Idol. I booked this thing. I don't know how, but me and Austin Idol were against Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. And uh, one other guy uh, that that if you remember the match I had with the um, the Miz for the the ladder match for the for the title, the only the only title match I think I ever had in WWE. Somewhere during that match, I turned around and um, oh gosh, uh, uh, was it A. Ry? Who was it? Alex Riley? Alex, yeah, Alex, or whatever his name was. <laughs> anyway, he gave me a clothesline from outside on the apron, and that and, and I guess I don't know if my head. I wasn't expecting it. That was like the hardest I can remember being hit uh, in the Oops, in the WWE. Man. Who was was it, what's his name? a Rye. Alex Riley, yeah. yeah. Oh, And he was, he, was, yeah, he was in the corner of the Miz in that match, and he did, jumped it up. It did wonders
0: for his career, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he never potato the king. Yeah. <laughs> because the most powerful weapon in wrestling is not the figure four, not the power driver. It's called the eraser. Well, now, I, you know, I never had any of that. Oh, kind I know of, that. Yeah. It was kind of funny. <laughs> kind of here for we can talk about your
2: heart attacks some more if you want to. No, that's, that, that's, a, that's like a downer.
1: You guys are in Cleveland. You just mentioned The Miz. What do you guys think of what The Miz has been able to accomplish from where he started out to where he is now? He's come a long way because
0: I, I wasn't sure in the very beginning he was going to make it. Because I, I, my perception of Mike early on was that he was playing the role of a pro wrestler or what he thought a pro wrestler should be. That is the ultimate kiss of death in this business you got to bring some authenticity, some or something real to the equation, or I'm not, I'm not going to stay hooked to you long enough to get for you to get over with me. And I, but Mike has worked very diligently and he has increased the physicality and the athleticism in his, in his games presentation. Uh, he's always had the curve on the interviews and attire and all that stuff. He's very charismatic. He'll be a great broadcast. He's he probably could be their biggest color guy right now if they want to use him there but i he, while he's still healthy and young and uh, sleeping with maurice <laughs> i would i would continue to do exactly what he's doing i'm proud of the guy and he's now i don't look at him now as just a, another guy that wants to be pretend wrestler fake tan little tattoo here and there keep your hair wet walk out same same shit everybody's the same thing and he's not that way he's, he's trying to be unique and different and i'm I'm happy with what he's doing.
2: Yeah, I like the biz too, because he's uh, yeah from Cleveland, and that's he and I gravitated towards each other and, and, and talk a lot uh, at at the shows about Cleveland sports. I mean, he's a huge Cleveland sports oh, yeah. fan, and uh, so yeah, we we spend a lot of time talking. He's a, he's a good guy, and re- really like just exactly like Jr. says, has come so far. And uh, to me, I mean, you know, he's he's one of the best guys they have in the When the he used to lock
0: up, he used, he couldn't break an egg. and now he locks up like he means it like he's serious about it there's where the he took a big step and a lot of guys get in their comfort zone and they don't want to take the next step up the next they don't want to deviate from where they feel comfortable and he's uh he's done really well there so he's stepping out of that comfort zone and He'll be the WWE champion or, or one of those, or the Universal champion again, soon, somewhere down the road. Sooner than later, I would say, because Vince likes him. He deserves it. He's reliable, and that latter thing, the reliability, is always what was the biggest thing for me when I was signing those guys. Can I depend on you? And you can depend on Mike.
1: All right, my question for Jr. here: What was it like being set on fire by Kane?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. They had a stunt double. Oh. <laughs> you think my fat ass is going to lay there and get burnt <laughs> I look like a great big
2: rump roast they brought this guy in yeah did you hear what he said that was, that's the truth right yeah. stunt double yeah. stunt double
0: they burnt his ass not me <laughs> all I had to do was stand out the, out, of, out of the camera shot and scream <laughs> so,
1: it's real to me damn it <laughs> All right, this is uh, for the both of you guys. You guys worked with, you know, announcing with Taz, Michael Cole, even Paul Heyman. Uh, Working with the other guys, was it harder to kind of feed off one
3: another or bounce off one another or not?
1: I I, I missed a little part of that. Did we what? Was it harder with announcers that weren't king where you didn't have that natural chemistry to kind of bounce off? For both of you guys who worked with Heyman and Taz and Michael Cole.
0: Well... yeah, Jerry and I had an instant connection
1: in chemistry, more
0: importantly said, better said. And I knew, where my, I knew what I, my role was. I was a point guard. I got to get him the ball. That's <laughs> oh, so not true. <laughs> Daddy didn't raise no idiot. So, uh, but that was, I think that's kind of the role too of the, of the play-by-play guy. Set up the color guy. That's what my theory is. And because the color guy is good, he'll bounce it back to you. So it's a nice little volley. But Jerry was, that was easy. Uh, Taz was challenging because he – Taz was always so insecure of himself and what others thought of him. And he did a really, really good job. But I don't know if he ever believed that. I mean, now he's doing great work with CBS uh, Sports Radio. Uh, and, but he's found his comfort level, and he's found where he's comfortable doing and he's doing terrific. Uh, Foley was very glib until Vince started screaming at him. Yeah. Then he, uh, then he, he bolted. Uh, who else did you ask about? Heyman. What about oh, Heyman? Heyman. Heyman is, Heyman is so easy to hate. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> he really is so easy to dislike. Hate's hey, a bad word. We, we all bounce around hate nowadays in our normal vocabulary uh, that we shouldn't. I think it's an overused term. There's too damn much hate, literally and figuratively, in this world. We don't need that shit. (laughs) Heyman was a lightning rod. I asked Jerry one time on that show we did, the insider thing on (laughs) WWE Network. He broke Heyman's jaw with a punch, and I wanted to know if it was accidental or intentional. And the answer was? Intentional. (laughs) (laughs) So Paul was uh, he's highly... Oh, he's really, really talented. He's the best talker in the business right now. That's active. I don't know who you can get to even rival it. WWE doesn't have anybody else close to him uh, talking. Sorry. And so he's just, uh, I love working with him because he kept me on my toes. And he kept me pissed off. (laughs) On edge. And I had that much patience.
2: And Vince loved the conflict. Yeah, and it fit, it fit the attitude there at that point. Well, you know the one thing like working with working with Jr. was um, to me. I mean, he said you know that he would just set me up. It was it was just so easy because i I've really you know when I when I got into the business, the wrestling business in general, I never never dreamed in a million years that I wound up be doing commentary. Didn't even think about it. Wow. I was a wrestler. That's all I thought. If, if you remember, even after I started doing commentary, I'd still wear my wrestling gear every week out on the show because I'm thinking I really, you know, I'm, I'm a wrestler. That's just kind of over here doing some color commentary for the time being. As a matter of fact, when, when I got put out there to, to be a commentator, it was back during the, the Monday night wars. And, uh, Was it you and Vince and Mm -mm. Macho Man or was it just Vince and Macho Man?
0: Yes, Vince and Macho Man. Yeah,
2: Vince and Randy Savage were doing the commentary. And I was getting ready to wrestle one night. I think we were up somewhere in the Pocono Mountains or something. And WCW was coming on. Their show came on an hour before Monday Night Raw. And so everybody was getting ready to to do the show. And I remember Vince walking around saying, Anybody seen Randy? I need to get with him to go over the format. And all of a sudden, somebody, like 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, somebody said, uh, Vince, you might want to check out the TV. Vince turned on the TV on WCW, and there was Randy Savage going, Oh, yeah! And he had jumped ship without telling anybody. And and like you said... Classic move. Yeah. And, and you know, like you said about Vince, you know, he did... it. Uh, he no-sold it, didn't he? He completely no-sold it. And he just looked around the room and saw me sitting there, and he said... King, would you mind doing the commentary with me tonight? And uh, next week I'll have somebody to do it on a regular basis. And then that wound up doing it for 23 straight years, you know, after that. But that's, that's how it happened for me. But working with, working with JR was like I, I never, because I never thought about being a commentator, I always looked at it as like maybe two buddies, the next door neighbors or whatever, sitting on our sofa at home, watching Monday Night Raw on TV and talking to each other. And that's the way I can, you know, that's, and that's the way our chemistry was. And it really, it it just worked so well, because that's the way, um, you know, it was two friends uh, just talking about what we were watching. And so it was, it was really easy.
0: That's the chemistry thing we're talking about. And that's why a lot of announced teams now, because they're thrown together or they're thrown together for different reasons, Uh, you know, Hey, I'm all about equal rights and all that stuff, but the best people for the job should have the jobs. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that, that, and that's, if a woman's better than a man, then so be it. I told some guys uh, in the locker room, one of the last times I was around, that somewhere along the way, you boys are going to be on a WrestleMania and women are going to headline the show and close the show. You are. Uh, so, you get the, the rest of the reactions, is what you'd expect. Some, some of the older guys. Oh, goddamn, the broads, the damn broads taking our spots. The damn broads taking our spots. What are you? Who are you? Is this a 1950s sitcom you're acting in? Oh, those broads, you know, uh, all those dim broads taking all the spots for the boys. Boys don't get to work. Well, you know what? Maybe the boys should try to add some new things to their, to their repertoire. May they try to change their matches up a little bit. May they try to change from doing non stop high spots and doing no selling, which you then eliminate the emotional investment into your gig. You can't sing the same songs every day and night. You can't. You got to change it up. And women, seemingly, in this group of women they have there now, are athletic, and they're competitive, and they have the balls to change. And a lot of the guys, the same sequencing going to their finishes. The same, they walk the ring the same way. It's all same, same, same because they got their spots. They're making a pretty good, pretty good piece of money, and they don't want to screw it up. Meaning they don't want to start. They want. They have stopped growing. Well, I can assure you, whatever you guys do for a living—students, husbands, wives, whatever you do for a living—if you stop growing, you start dying. It's that
1: simple. Thank you very much, I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> some motivational words from Jared yeah. there as well. Hey, don't forget merchandise you guys can get after the show, anything you buy here today, they will sign for you after the show. We got time for still questions. if some you're attractive enough, Jared, I'll go home with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> can you cook?
3: Growing up watching you guys for over 20 years now, this would be a two separate questions. Like This first one's for Jim Ross here. Growing up watching you call all of the matches like from Austin, The Rock, etc., um, how did you come up with those iconic catchphrases that you would normally say in a match?
0: Off the top of my head? I didn't write anything down, just like the Tonight Show, as you could tell. <laughs> uh, it's everywhere. But that's, we liked it that way. Here's a simple thing. Some of you guys listen to my podcast have heard me say this. I really believe it. Is that the wrestlers created the music and the broadcasters created the lyrics? The music comes first in our scenario. Well, Elton John didn't do that. He had us. We ain't Elton John here. It's Jr. and the King. We ain't Elton John. The wrestling, the wrestling product created a narrative that we were skilled enough. We we thought. To provide adequately, so that's how it works for me. And some of those things, you know, I had a pet coon when I was a kid. I really <laughs> did. What about the government mule? Did you have one of those? My, my great grandfather had a Bureau of Indian Affairs government mule, and a lot of the, a lot of the people got off their government issued land in Oklahoma, in, t- in territory days. And they went to California, excuse me, sir, I'll get through with you Eat them in a minute here. Uh, and they uh, would leave those mules behind because they ate too much and they slowed the trip down. So they got treated like a government mule, <laughs> forsaken, <laughs> downtrodden, disrespected. And that, so that became a part of my BS. But some of the other stuff just happens. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it didn't. But it seemed like a lot of it stuck over the years. Folks, I'll get you back to Cleveland momentarily for more of the J.R. and the King show. If you're enjoying it, first I want to tell you about Purple Mattress. You know, purple is a big deal for me right now. They they're a great sponsor, but more importantly, the results that they get people, the better night's sleep, all the things that they do, and their guarantees, their warranties. It's just simply amazing. And you're probably wondering, what the hell, J.R. Are you talking about this Purple? What makes it different? Well. It's going to feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material. It's not like the memory foam that you're used to. The purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. So it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, which means it sleeps cool. That's a big deal. Now here's the thing. The guarantee is astonishing. 100-night risk-free trial. Did you hear me? 100 night risk free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10 year warranty. You get free shipping and returns, and free in home setup and old mattress removal. Now, you're going to love purple folks. I swear to you, you are. You got to get a good night's sleep. You got to find your sleep. You got to find the way to accomplish restful sleep so you can be healthier and more effective as a parent, as a friend, as a worker, as whatever. Right now, in addition to all the great gifts Purple is offering site-wide, by the way, our listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. Just text JR to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text JR to 474747. That's JR to 474747 message and data rates may apply next question
3: now this one right here is for jerry lawler sam now i remember watching wrestlemania 13 when austin fought bret hart in that infamous submission match where austin bleeds pretty bad in that match and um and i know when bret swing hits austin's head he's had swings and some blood got on your hands and some of your notes. Now, was it originally in the plan for Bret Hart to bust Austin open <coughs> so that he could bleed pretty bad for that match, or that was that just came out of the blue?
2: There you go. <laughs> Have at it, my boy. It's all yours. Well, first of all, you could put a gun to my head right now and ask me if I remember the match <laughs> that you're talking about, and I would have to say, shoot me, because I don't... I, I, you know, we did so many matches. I do not I do not remember that particular Real match or the, that happened. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the one thing that I do uh, was probably that match. Uh, JR said he didn't ever write anything down. I would always kind of be prepared with... I, I would, before a show... Uh, A few days before I would just have myself a sheet of one liners that may or may not come into play. You know, if I hear something or or, or read something that I thought was funny somewhere during the week, I would jot it down. And I almost every week I would have just a, a note sheet of things that I might or might not say during the show.
0: What he's trying to say is that he invented the Henny Youngman joke book.
2: Yeah. Oh, I have that. <laughs> I have that.
0: I mean, the, Rodney Dangerfield joke book. And the
2: Milton Berle joke book, all of those old, old joke books. But, yeah, the uh, masters. I, and I, I have saved all of those. I have saved all of those sheets hmm. over the years from the 20 years, um, of, of one liners that I have at home. And I, every now and then I will pull the, this one out and and show it to people because it's the it's I guess it's like the fancy DNA or something there. But I have a sheet that Stone Cold bled on, so it may have been that match that you're talking about. Uh, but as far as like um, uh, you know, if I know what was going on, that was another thing. Like like we said before, Jr. and I didn't have a clue what was going to happen in the matches. Uh, we were we were both out there for the the. Um, Montreal screw job, right? Yep. Had no earthly idea what was gonna happen in, in that match. Most a lot of people
0: still don't believe that because I was a town relations guy. And I'll tell you, uh, I don't know how I wrote about this in my first book. I still probably be in the second book in some shape, form, or fashion. Milk and bread before you get home. Uh, yeah. You're late. Uh, and uh, what was we talking about? Screw job screw job. You oh, yeah, Mark, all that. just that <laughs> he, I asked this said, I was really I was really pissed off. I wasn't pissed off because of what he did, because I think he had to do what he had to do. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. And I love Brett. I'm not, you know, throwing Brett on the bus. Brett's a good friend, a good guy. But I think uh, in the, as the lay of the land came about, McMahon had to do what McMahon did. Because that's the only alternative they could come up with. Because they couldn't come up with a decision on how to
2: end a fake wrestling match. But we had no idea what was going to happen, right? We did not know. And and the the one thing to me that was like the made it so real was the fact that I was literally standing even closer than Jr. and I are right now next to Vince when the, the look on Bret Hart's face. He got up and it was like he realized what had just happened to him, I was standing next to Vince, and Brett gave the little smirk, and then he walked over to the edge of the ring and literally went like this. (laughs) And he spit the biggest loogie that you've ever seen, and it hit Vince right in the eye. Amazing
0: accuracy. Yeah. (laughs) For all you guys having dinner tonight and lunch here at Hilarity's, it was a big old loogie right between the eyes. <laughs>
2: right in it. And, and Vince just went like that. Oh, man. And I was going, oh, it's no way that anybody would allow somebody to do that with them. I mean, two of them, if it wasn't real. real. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I asked him, I said, why don't you
0: tell me? He said, because I did not want you implicated. You had to keep the trust of the talent. You had deniability. Right. Yeah. I, hadn't, I didn't really know. you know, I didn't know. Yeah. Well, Jerry and I sat there like idiots and all I know is that it was, it got chaotic when they said, uh, Kevin Dunn came on and said, we're, we're out in 10, nine and we didn't have, we couldn't wrap up. We got a new champion, nothing. It's like good night from Montreal, essentially, because it was that abrupt and that sudden to get off the air. So, cause they didn't know what was going to happen after that. They didn't, you know, Brett was throwing monitors and, and they got us, he, the cops they, got us, got us out of there. He actually punched Vince later too, didn't he? Oh, yeah, in the locker room. Knocked him out. Yeah. KO'd him. <laughs> and Vince said, I owed it to him. I screwed him. I owed him a shot, and he gave the shot. So take that however you want about McMahon. I mean, he's, a lot of promoters would have been in their car and gone. They wouldn't have gone to the locker room to confront the guy. He didn't confront him. He'd give him a chance to either say something or nail him. And he nailed. He got nailed. <laughs>
2: So that was, that was an interesting night, to say the very least. Yes, it was. But, you know, it, Brett should have figured something was going to happen because it was in Montreal, Canada. And you know that Vince has some, Vince has some sort of, a, I don't know, not a quirk or something, about, but nothing good. He doesn't allow anything good to happen to wrestlers in their own hometowns.
1: It's Crick. JR knows that better than anybody.
2: Yeah. I would
0: join the Mr. McMahon Kissing My Ass Club in Oklahoma City in front of my children (laughs) who are young and crying. Why is daddy's face in that man's ass? Because that man pays daddy a lot of money to do these things. But yeah, he's right.
1: You go to your hometown, expect calamity. Something bad's, to... Something bad's gonna happen. Chaos. Something bad's gonna happen. Does Vince just think that's funny to do that to you in your hometown? Is that just Absolutely, for his. Absolutely thinks it's for... Well, yeah. here's the thing. He thinks it's funny, but he's got an out. The out
0: is when I was positioned in Oklahoma City to use me as a vessel to get heat, it happened when The Undertaker turned, when Kurt Angle turned. And that was all part of the big man kiss my ass club. So all those heels they are trying to establish knew they were going to get booed in front of JR's people. Uh, and it makes it psychologically. It made sense. The same thing when Austin turned heel, it's like John Wayne becoming a Nazi. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. I didn't feel it that night. and And I just, I was disconnected from it. Just didn't think it was going to work. And it didn't, by the way. But when they came to Oklahoma City we or to do SmackDown on Tuesday, they saw that he was still getting cheered on Monday. Because, he's, guess what, he's still stone cold. So then i do the interview on SmackDown, coming over from Raw. Hey, I want to reason with Steve, and I'm going to try to talk to him about this malaise he's in, and, you know, whatever. And he'd beat the shit out of me. And then... A lot of those guys use a little piece of, of a razor, as you all know. He, somebody gave him the idea to use a suit, uh, a, a medical device. I said, Have you ever done this before? A scalpel. A scalpel. A scalpel, yeah. He said, oh, It'll work. It'll be all right. You'll be all right. Said, what? Oh, what? Can you practice on an like orange or something first? Or another human? Can I watch? So he. And his adrenaline was so high. He was trying to make this turn work. God bless him. And I thought when we got back to the back, you know, of course I got the, the scaffold, I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. And I, I they were coming up with an idea that McMahon says, well, how are we going to get this done without people seeing what's going on? The sleight of hand thing. So I said, well, here's easy. Have Steve had me in a corner pounder on me, boom, boom, boom. And before I got the blood, have Vince come out and say, Open him up, goddamn, open him up. <laughs> and so the people all turn their attention to Vince, right? Big boo boo voice. And while they're looking at him, Steve's nailing me. I thought I was having a lobotomy. <laughs> goddamn brain surgery. So I got back in the back and I said, notwithstanding the, the stupid ass idea I agreed to, the suture is insane. <laughs> Don't ever do that again to anybody. And secondly, do you know how to throw a working punch? <laughs> do you have any idea what the objective is to make it look good but not hurt? I got your knuckle marks, all your knuckle imprints all over my face and my head and my forehead. He said, well, we've got to look good it's on, it's on live TV. He said, Steve, Smackdown's taped. <laughs> but it, it looked gruesome, to say the least. And that was the one where I... My kids are going to come. I said, uh, Daddy's going to have to leave right at the show, so uh, on the plane, go back to Connecticut. Maybe I'll call you from the plane like Jerry Jarrett did. But (laughs) in any event, you don't need to come tonight. I didn't like little girls sitting there in the ringside watching.
2: Their their moms, my ex-wives, would have loved it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let let, let me do this real quick if we can. We talked about... and, and. to me, that was um, one of the funniest things that I ever witnessed during some of the shows. Was the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club? Now I don't think that would fly today in the politically correct world. Anymore. Unlikely, probably not, right? Yeah. But the Vince McMahon. Everybody remember that? Yeah. What did we do? Okay. Can I can I get you to come up here for one second? This is a, this guy right here is amazing. I met him a, a couple of years ago, and. Um, Everybody, I don't think this. I don't think anybody seen somebody in a really tight, small bikini or a speedo or something might be offended. But this was talking about the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club. Watch this. This is one of the most amazing things. Just show Vince first. (laughs) Well, if you can see his leg right here, he's undressing.
0: He's got his shorts on and he's got.
2: Look at that. Is that amazing? <laughs> and look who's now. Look who's right below Vince. He's got look JR under, and I look tattooed look on his leg. Look who's under his left cheek, me. <laughs> How's the view down there, JR? Oh, is it, what's it's funny. The, it's a nasty crack up. What's the view like down there? <laughs> is that amazing? So it's great you- stereo, and uh, I think you have The Undertaker on there. Wow! Oh look, Kurt Angle had hair. Kurt Angle with his little Kurt Angle hat on. Has hair, and little cowboy hat. And on. there's Stone Cold, Triple H, Bret Hart, Hart, Bret Hart, Bret Hart by the knee. Oh, there's uh, what's his name? Um, there's Undertaker Bearer. and Paul Berry. That's amazing.
0: It is amazing. Yeah. So my question to you is, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> Tell us. Good
3: question.
0: I,
2: I, I, the first drunk? time I first yeah. time,
0: you were drunk. Yeah. Okay. You're right the, <laughs>
2: the first first time I saw him, I, he showed me that he didn't have Jr. and I tattooed on there yet, but he just had Vince and I. I said, "Can I take a picture?" I took took a picture, and I sent it the picture to Vince, and uh, I just got a three letter response. He just put O M G. So Vince has seen his uh, face tattooed awesome. on your rear end there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy.
2: Thanks for coming up.
1: I like that shirt, too, by the way. (laughs) Well, that is something there. All right. What, sir, would you like to ask JR and the King? Hi, guys. Thanks for coming to Cleveland. We love you. JR, two questions, one for each. JR, we love you on
0: Access TV, New Japan. Don't watch much longer. And uh, fill us in on what's going on on there. And as far as the King goes, I don't know if you can see my... I don't
1: t-shirt. t-shirt? Where are you? He's got it right over it, right in the center. Smoky okay. Mountain Wrestling T-shirt. Yes, he's yes, got yes. on.
0: Smoky Mountain Wrestling T-shirt. Brian Hildebrand sent it to me. I spent a week uh,
2: down in uh, a fan week down in Tennessee. Could you tell us a story about the old independent days? Me? Jr. knows about the old independent days as well. I mean, when you know we we were. Um, well, if you if you go back to the probably the fifties or maybe even further than that, in the 60s. I, I, I actually started in the wrestling business in, in 1970 or 71. And uh, at that time, the, the whole country, you know, there was wrestling going on all over the whole country, but these were the days before cable television. Everybody had just had local TVs and in, in local station. and back in those days, there were probably like three channels uh, or four with if you had, you know, PBS or something like that. But anyway, the country was divided up into 32 different territories is what we call them and they were just it was basically where a bunch of wrestling promoters got together and said uh all right for instance our promoter in, in the tennessee area was named nick goulas nick Gulas, and roy welch and they their headquarters was in nashville and they would look at the map and they'd like it was almost a uh, like a maybe a two hundred mile radius of wherever your headquarters was because that 's about as far as you could send wrestlers driving to a town two hundred miles away and have a match and get back the same you know in the same day so that would you know these these different territories would be, encompass a, a headquarters and and then all of the cities that were in like a baby, basically a two hundred mile radius. And Jr. was you were you were working down with right right na- down south of our territory was called the Mid South, which was Bill Watts, and he he owned that he owned that territory. And Jr. was working for Bill Watts. We up in the, then uh, in 1977, Jerry Jarrett and I became the owners of uh, the Memphis territory, and we you know we had our we had live TV every Saturday morning in Mem- in Memphis. Then on Saturday night we'd drive up to Nashville and wrestle there. Then we'd come back on Mondays and do our live show at the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis. Then Tuesday night we'd drive up to Louisville, Kentucky. Wednesday night we'd drive to Evansville, Indiana. Thursday night maybe Lexington, Kentucky. And and so that's you know that was back in the day when the guys would ro- drive, oh gosh, 200,000 miles a year in their cars and uh, and you know work. Uh, not just seven times a week. Sometimes you would do three, well, I, I can remember at one time when I first started in, in Memphis, you would do we had an early morning live TV show in Jackson, Tennessee that started at like 9 a.m. You worked, I would work, and this was even not before I got to work Memphis TV. would work Jackson, Tennessee at 9 a.m, do a match. Jump in our car, never forget Tommy Gilbert, Eddie Gilbert's dad, he and I started about the same time, and we were always on this same loop every, every Saturday. We jump in our car after doing the TV at 9 a.m. in Jackson, drive up to Nashville, do a live TV that came on at like two o'clock or 1 o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, do a match there, jump in our car, drive down to Chattanooga and do a sh- match there that came on at like five or six o'clock in the afternoon, do the match. So there, then jump in our car and drive down to Birmingham, Alabama, and do a match in Birmingham that came on at 10 o'clock at night. So we'd do four TV shows in one day, and that was like every Saturday. All by car. All by car, and you would get paid $15 for each show. I mean, it was basically just gas money, you know, I mean. But, you know, I mean, and people say, God, how, how did you do it? But then, you you know, you t- tried to make your money on the. On if you the, weren't on television. Yeah. It's like an
0: artist, a musician not getting their records played on the radio. Yeah. You had to be on television to create your body of work and to create your name identity so you can market yourself. All these dudes are independent contractors. I remember my first job with McGurk. Leroy McGurk was a blind, totally blind. on owned the territory. Then Bill Watts bought into it. It was co-, co partners with him, uh, and I made 150 a week, all in, no benefits, no taxes withheld. Independent contractor, like you're, like a pouring concrete or mowing your lawn. I made a buck fifty a week with a new wife. That didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, but you know, you pay, It's the old deal where you talk here, other guys talk about this, and you often, what does that mean? Pay your dues. What is paying your dues? Well, it depends on what kind of business you're in. You know, I, uh, I think I paid my dues at that kind of money. Then you, 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 you yearn to be earning more, so you become, you, you say, I'll, I'll put a trailer hitch on my car, and I'll haul the ring and make another 100 bucks. Well, when you're making 150 all in for the week, and you can get a gig that can pay you an extra 100 you go crazy for that. And you think you found Easy Street, right? And then you say, well, if I can haul the ring, I think I can referee. Well, that's another 50 bucks <laughs> or 25, whatever. But it's a lot more than you had when you left the house. So that's what you, these guys, in like Jerry's situation, they're trying to get on television, man. They want people to see their work. And that's why a lot of these cats and, and ladies and men today don't understand how lucky they got it. They ain't got to travel all over the world to get on television. They travel, but the TV's done in one spot and you know, you go, everybody goes there. It's like WrestleMania week. It's all going to be done in that one venue. And that wasn't, that was unheard of back in the day she's talking about.
2: Yeah. And the, the business, the territory business and independent shows or whatever you call it. Now, um, it all changed with the advent of cable TV in the mid eighties, late eighties, cable
0: TV changed everything much like social media is changing everything today.
2: Yeah. And what what happened when, you know, then there was WCW and WWE and these their TVs suddenly were seen not just all over the country, but with cable, you know, all over Canada, the United States. I mean, they were seen everywhere. And so all of the all of the top talent who had had just been seen like if you came and worked our Tennessee territory, you were just seen in Tennessee, part of Kentucky, part of Arkansas, part of Alabama. That's the only place you were going to be seen every week on TV. Well, all of a sudden, with these two big companies that had t- network TV, so to speak, you were on uh, you know, all over the country, all of the top talent said, I want to go there. I want to I be on where I could be seen you know, worldwide. And so that's what dried up the, uh, it wasn't, it really wasn't a lot of people say, oh, Vince McMahon came in and killed all the territories. He didn't kill the territories. The territories basically died because the top talent left them and went to work where they could be seen and, and, and be national TV stars. And
0: those old promoters were not prepared to make new stars. That have, they didn't have their systems in place so that if top boy A left, uh, top boy B is ready. They just didn't think ahead. there was so antiquated back then. I, I get, I've had this question a lot. on a little Q&A and, Q and thing. You can send in questions on, my, on my, my little audio show. And people ask about, you know, the events Jerry jury just brought up. And man didn't kill the territories. The territories killed the territories. They weren't prepared for success or prepared to grow. I remember sitting in a, in a, in a lot of conversations with a cowboy because he had this really high dollar speakerphone. He'd love to talk. He'd call the grocery store on the speakerphone. He'd love the speakerphone. And so I'd sit there listening listen to him on the speakerphone talk to different promoters and I learned a lot. Those car trips that Jerry was on back in those days in the 70s were like classrooms. There are rolling classrooms where you discuss your work and you discuss how you can get better and you can be more efficient. You can draw more money. How can I market myself better? Do I have the right gimmick? What do you think about my finisher? Am I selling well? Am I dying? or Am I selling? Am I registering? What am I doing? So all these conversations were held. Now the guys are playing video games or are FaceTiming their, their girlfriend and then their wife. <laughs> it's a different culture. Where back in our days we just had the rats. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you, you, it's it's a it's a big change, and some of the changes today are really for the better. The health of the athletes having doctors, really real doctors, not a chiropractor. None of doing chiropractors here. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't mean to offend you, but you can't do surgery. These doctors saved Jerry's life uh, in, in Montreal. Things have changed a lot for the better, including the health of the guys and gals. The fact that women are given an opportunity now to actually explore their skills, which is long overdue. The days of Moolah. There's some some Moolah fans out there, too. Hey, I knew Moolah. You knew Moolah very well. I knew Moolah very well, Yes, She she was uh, very unique. Can you say Tony Soprano? There was no doubt who the boss was.
2: Right or wrong? Yeah, and there was a stable of female wrestlers and Moolah kind of lorded over them. But then she, then she booked them. I mean, I, I you and know, got 25% of their earnings. Yeah. But without Moolah, they probably wouldn't have gotten booked. They wouldn't have, probably they not. wouldn't have had jobs. So
0: we're writing a, uh, I bought the rights to a book called queen of the ring. It's written by a guy named Jeff lean, L E E N. If you're interested in checking it out, I had got no fish, no dog and a hunt on this deal, other than I bought the rights to the book, to the movie was a story about Mildred Burke and what Mildred Burke went through to go from a five foot one or two inch waitress at a greasy spoon in Kansas city. I think it was to becoming the biggest female box solid sensation for like decades in wrestling. And I, I was talking to somebody the other day that they, they had a conversation years years ago with Luthez and Luthez hated to be on cards with Mildred Burke. Do you wonder why? Because Mildred Burke had tons and tons of charisma, she was a female, a stacked, good-looking, five foot two, very endowed, muscular. (laughs) She had the muscles for uh, the uh, the the riveter. The what's her name on the the old Rosie the Riveter. Rosie the Riveter. Thank you so much. (laughs) So, uh, but Lou didn't want to be on there because she was she was the darling of everybody, and sometimes Lou was not the. The baby face, he had to be a heel sometimes. Miller was always the baby face. So that, that whole era is unique. And WWE's doing great things for these women right now. past due, I get it. But how do you go back and retrace history? I can't change it. We, none of us can change history. We can only study it and learn from it, right? So I, I like the fact that the changes the positive. But those road trips, those classrooms, if you go to a, a locker room now in wrestling much like you'd see at an airport or a restaurant, everybody's on their phone, checking their text messages, checking their Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, baby mama, whatever. It's all there. Can't keep her eyes off it. I saw a thing the other day. I went to dinner, one of my favorite spots in Norman, by myself. I'm meeting at the bar, kind of flirting with the bartender. And he's really a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Got to do what you got to do, right? Hey, (laughs) went wrong, baby? You got to, uh, so I look, I I turn around, this guy walks in. He said, Hey, JR, how you doing? I don't know who it was for a moment. Hey, I'm good. How are you? And I I look over to the booth next to them. There's a family of four. They're not saying one word to each other. Nada. They're all on their phone. So I get ready to leave and I had a couple of Moscow meals, maybe three, four, no. <laughs> well, you know, I just thought I'd drop by and say hello. I said, well, I'm glad to see you guys out Have a nice family, having a good dinner tonight. And are you tweeting each other, texting each other? <laughs> Cause I've noticed you're really involved in your phones and it kind of embarrassed the dad. I said, I'm just kidding. Hey, don't, don't I'm just no drunk. I'm, I'm going home. See you later. <laughs> but you know, i got the point. I made my point. Are you kidding me? You had dinner. You can't put your phone down long enough at dinner to have a conversation for maybe 20 minutes. You so depend on your goddamn phone. Are you kidding me?
2: Did you see that? Did you hear that? <laughs> and that's the reason territories are no longer in existence.
0: <laughs> the cable TV killed that part of it, but the promoters were not prepared for any change.
2: You know the one the one thing that uh, I say in our defense down in, in the Memphis territory uh, was and it's pretty much was uh you, kind of a unique situation we We were able to hang on the longest our territory lasted until like nineteen ninety seven still doing business. who was um, on top there well, that's the reason right I mean like you said, <laughs> wrestler a uh, would leave, and they weren't prepared for wrestler b right. well. In our case, I was wrestler A, and on top, and I owned part of the territory. I was half fifty-fifty owner with Jerry Jarrett, so I was no way I was going to leave. So that that really saved our territory. In the fact, I mean, you know, like he, uh, uh, I mean, misnamed some of the in the in the AWA in Vern Gagne's territory. Oh my gosh, his whole you know he had. Uh, his whole roster basically left, and you're right. He had nobody to replace him with except his son Greg or something. You know, we right
0: lost a junkyard dog. Yeah. And Cowboys ready. We yeah. lost uh, uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan. Cowboys ready. What we weren't ready for was the economy to go south, because uh, we were in a, st- a region where it's all oil and gas, and it just the bottom fell out and if you were the, the unemployment rate was extremely high and the irony of that deal for us and that, our run there where as we were going out of business we had some of the biggest tv ratings we'd ever had but people didn't have money to buy tickets and the tv was free so there's no revenue coming in of any, uh, any consequence so that's what killed us in that regard but a lot of those promoters you look back at some of those little territories go back and do a little study sometimes How many of them lost their top stars, and who did they have ready to step in? Unless you're in a unique situation like Jerry was, where they knew, he knew he wasn't leaving, and Jerry Jarrett knew he wasn't leaving, because he's got too much here. And he's on top, he's a star of the show. And he owns half the territory. Why would you leave? So, a lot of guys didn't have that opportunity. They just, they bolted for the quick cash. And and
2: like you said, when a a territory lost uh, a Ted DiBiase or or a junkyard dog or whatever then what would happen is then vince would come back and run the same like you know run new orleans or somewhere mm-hmm. where these guys were already the you know were already the established stars and then boom they you know then vince would draw and the other territory they would they would sort of look at their guys at like just a second rate uh second rate talent that sort of thing we
0: did a thing one time where uh, wwe the same pattern they came to oklahoma city which is our biggest market in the northern part of the territory. New Orleans is the biggest market in the southern part of the territory. They came in uh to run opposition, and you know, and of course the boys, they're gonna try to put us out as bad as others, they have rods are taking all the spots. Uh, you know, same deal. Bitching and moaning, complaining. So we did a we did a fan appreciation night at the uh in Oklahoma City, head to head against their wrestling show. Guess he won? They came to see our guys. I remember we had such a huge crowd. we were at the state fairgrounds. We had to put Carrie Von Erich in a uh, horse pen to keep the women from running over him. I swear to God. And we had, we had, a, we had a free meet and greet and they didn't eat. Now that's an oak hat. We had a meet and greet today. Didn't do that then. She so could meet the wrestlers, You could get your pictures taken, you could sign your autographs and it, it cost you nada. So you want to come see all these guys for NADA for free, or do you want to go out and stand in line and go do, the, do your business at the, uh, for the WWF at the time? And they chose us. And ironically, the WWF never came back until the Cowboys out of business.
2: Well, I remember one time we really didn't have anybody. A lot of guys really didn't go right away up to uh, the WWF, as you said. But... Um, when they tried to come into Nashville and, and, Memphis, that, that was the time they booked Harley race. They started calling Harley race, the King. And so in our, they came into Tennessee and they just booked, I don't know, like, you know, Tito Santana against the King. And, uh, I actually sued Vince. And we, we won the case. I mean, they held up the gate in Nashville because of a, a lawsuit and everything because I came, claimed uh, copyright infringement because I had, you know, Jerry the King Lawler, the King of Wrestling, all this kind of stuff, trademarked. So I actually sued Vince. And they, and like I said, held up the gate, and so there was a, there was some kind of hard feelings there, uh, for a while. But then you know, that's that's one of the weird things that later on, like you said, you know, he never yelled at me. I mean, we became you know close friends and everything, which is kind of unusual because I may have been one of the few guys that sued him, and then later on did business with it. Yeah, did business with him. Yeah, later on. But anyway, that's, uh, that, that was uh, pretty much the history of the, the territory days. But independent wrestling today is sort of, I mean, it's having, a, you know, it's having a kind of a resurgence around the country. No better time to be a fan. There's no better time to be in the
0: business. Where else, except our great business that we all love and support in some perverse way, we don't really know why, but we love it, could two <laughs> guys of our age be here with you guys on a cold-ass day in Cleveland have a great house, and have fun.
1: The wrestling business is health. Guys, put your hands together. Two WWE Hall of Famers coming out, giving history lessons, life lessons. Put your phone down, enjoy your loved ones. And again, thank you for coming out here for Live with JR and the King. Guys, if you have any final words, is, is, that it? is yours. We're gonna
0: go upstairs in a few minutes, but seriously, wanna tell you guys, thanks for being here. It means a lot to both of us. We've both had challenging years, uh, Jerry this year, the son, and me uh, a year ago with my wife. And uh, it's things like this, our loved ones that are with us and support us, and the fans for me especially. Uh, you know, Jerry's got a great situation in Memphis. It's Lauren and her family and his son, Kevin, it's all good. And, and I have all my fans here and abroad that have pulled me through. So you guys don't know what kind of role you play in my life. I just want to say thank you for that. I'm very, very grateful. I certainly hope you enjoyed our presentation of our comedy show, our Q&A that King and I did in Cleveland. Uh, It was a unique show for us this week, and I appreciate you guys tuning in for it. And if you get a chance to come to one of our shows, either the King by himself or with me or me alone, uh, check us out. The Q&A's are the money. I've always said that. I will, it's great to hear what you guys got to say. And the audience today because of social media, has so much more information flow. Uh, and they also seem, right now it seems that nostalgia is a big thing because you notice how many questions we got about the old days. It's, it's really it's really a, kind of a unique thing that many fan bases are more interested in nostalgia and the back in the day wrestling than they are today. And that's not really a good thing. So it comes back to back in the day, there were talents that were hugely over. There were stars and never, ever underestimate folks. The fact that the wrestling business, the MMA business, the NFL is driven by their stars. The attractions draw the money. They sell the tickets. They create the ratings. It's a star-driven business. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week. As a matter of fact, next week, uh, Jim Cornette's going to be back for part two of our conversation. It's a little bit more enhanced than the first time we got to hear Corny a week ago. But it really covers some some topics. I know you're going to be intrigued to hear. Uh, and whether you agree with Corny's uh, political, it's not about politics next week. It's about the business. And I think you're going to learn some things. I certainly, uh, did. And I've been around the guy a long time, over 30 years. So good stuff. So Cornette will be with us next week. Uh, remember you can get our, uh, you get questions or comments to us, to the Jim Ross report at gmail.com. Remember that, uh, Ingalls markets, the Ingalls grocery stores in six States and over 200 stores are now stocking, uh, our products. I'd love for you to take a picture of them, What I would really love is for you to buy some of it. <laughs> and if you get, if you didn't get any JRs for your stocking stuffers for Christmas, here's your chance. You hit to get the Ingalls, and also uh, www.shop.com just got restocked right before uh, the holidays, and uh, the orders had hit them pretty hard, so they they are seemingly uh, back in a pretty good stead on inventory wise. So you can always go to www.shop.com as well and. And pick up my mom and my granny's, uh, or my mom and my my wife's uh, recipes. Family affair, folks. It's a family affair. And i keep this brand alive for, in their memory, to be honest with you. So, uh, a new episode Escapes every Wednesday. James E. Cornette back with us next week. Again, uh hope your Christmas was wonderful and, and is loaded with blessings. And he, and he made a lot of people smile, he made a lot of people happy. That's what it's all about. So until next week, everybody, I'm heading back to Norman. i got things to do. i got granddaughters to take care of. They're coming to see Grandpa and those son-in-laws. What am I going to do with them? Big week ahead. More on that next week. So until next week, remember that our tomorrows are never guaranteed. Merry Christmas again. And so long, everybody.
1: The Westwood One Podcast Network, The Raven Effect.
2: I don't have an ounce of fat anywhere else. I bet I would be like 8% body fat if I didn't have a, if you could take, if you could leave out my midsection and put me on a, one of those water
3: testing thingies, I bet it'd be like 8 to 10%, maybe, maybe 16, 20 tops.
1: The Raven Effect. Download and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Westwood One Podcast app. Free from the Westwood One Podcast Network.